0: or even a glass of wine, <laughs> if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting
1: Podcast. Hi, all. Before we start the show, I want to talk about one of today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you in part by Four Sigmatic, a wellness company that mixes shrooms and adaptogens with coffee, cacao, latte, protein powder, and edible skincare. All of their tasty products work great in your eating window. Four Sigmatic Mushroom Coffee has half the caffeine of regular coffee, but it's truly magical. Because it has less caffeine, I can drink it in my eating window without it affecting my sleep. You're probably thinking, does this coffee taste like mushrooms? I can guarantee it tastes just like regular coffee, not at all like mushrooms. Mushroom coffee is more than just coffee. It contains lion's mane. Fun fact. Lion's mane mushrooms have long been used by the Buddhist monks to help with focus during meditation. Plus, it includes chaga, the king of mushrooms. Chaga supports your immune system with its antioxidant properties. And of course, we have a special offer for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast audience. Receive 15% off your Four Sigmatic order. Just go to foursigmatic.com ifpodcast or enter code ifpodcast at checkout. That's F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com slash I F podcast to receive 15% off your order. And now enjoy the show. Hi,
0: everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 147 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: How are you today,
1: Jen? I am fabulous. I'm living in a construction zone. Oh, still from the um, ceiling? Well, we just started. Yes. And we're doing several things. It's going to be a construction zone here for a while, but our house was built in 1979. And the people who we bought it from had lived here since 84. And they had done a lot of renovations over the years, but there were still areas with popcorn ceilings, and so we're having those scraped down and fixed. Not all of them. There's still a couple of rooms. Like there's one room where it was built in the, the late 80s and it's got a little textured ceiling, but it's not bad in there. But there were a few places where it was like coming, you know, didn't look fresh and good. So, whoo, it's a mess. <laughs> the guys have been here scraping, scraping, scraping. And now they're plastering replastering them fixing you know the cracks there were some cracks in it and they're gonna sand all that and we're also redoing a bathroom that was last redone in the 80s and it had laura ashley wallpaper we've talked about laura ashley before you don't know what that is right no yeah it, i remember talking about that early on you're like what's that it was really big in the 80s it was very flowery it's kind of like you know english garden kind of a look So that's going away. It's going away. We're redoing that whole bathroom. And I'm actually super excited about one thing. The bathroom was done, of course, in the 80s when brass and gold were really big. And it's got these faucets that were put in in the 80s and they are gold plated. (laughs) Okay. So just imagine these gold plated faucet handles and the shower fixtures are also the the gold plated. And they are actually back in style. And Chad is letting me keep them. And I'm so excited because we're putting back in, we're going to use gold pulls on the vanity because that's what's in style right now. And these are like a brushed gold from the 80s. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) everything old is new again.
0: That's so funny.
1: Yeah, but we're not, you know, the wallpaper is not going to be Laura Ashley, but we're getting a new vanity, new floor, you know. So anyway, big changes.
0: Are you going to outfit your podcast room to be a podcast
1: studio? Well, I'm not adding anything to the room, no. (laughs) Not right now. I'm still
0: holding out for that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's still, it's fine the way it is. There's actually some texture ceiling in here and we're leaving it just because it's better for sound, I think. I mean, it's not a huge deal, but it's also not a main room of the house. Well, to-do list.
0: (laughs) I just want to have my own little podcast studio and live vicariously through you.
1: I love my podcast studio. I love it. It's just, but it's, you know, it's not a professional recording studio, but it's works for me. It's better than when I was recording from the laundry room slash my husband's office slash the room the cats went through. (laughs) Because I don't know if I ever told y'all, I don't know. I might have. You probably, you knew this, but I don't know if the audience did, but the way my old house was built, the one that we sold, it had two heating and air systems, one for the right side of the house, one for the left side of the house. And the room where I did the podcasting, which was the combination office laundry room where the cats came in, was right in the smack middle of the house. So it had vents from the right side, but it had the air return from the left side. So anytime the heat or the air came on, it was so loud, it sounded like a freight train was going through that room. So before I recorded any episode of the podcast, I had to go turn off the heat and the air on both sides of the house. And sometimes I would forget to turn it back on and I'd be like, why is it so hot in here? I'd be like, oh, I turned off the the air and then I would have to turn it back on. So all that podcasting that I did, I had to turn the heat and the air off to do it. It was such a pain. And now I don't have to do that. It's like just those little things make such a difference.
0: Every time we podcast, I have to turn off one, two, three, four air filters, (laughs) air purifiers, and then turn off the air conditioning. And then turn off my Rife machine.
1: Yeah, I don't have to turn off anything. I don't have to turn off anything. I just walk in here, close the door, and podcast. It's like freedom <laughs> after all those. Yeah, you know, I mean it was it was a couple years that I had to had to do that. So it was a lot.
0: So funny. I have a funny story.
1: All right, what is it?
0: so I went to Whole Foods the other day, like a few or, actually now it was probably a week or so ago. And I went at 7 a.m. right when they opened because I had insomnia. That's the only reason I would ever be up at 7 a.m. So I went to Whole Foods and I was in the checkout line. There was nobody in the store because it was 7 a.m. I had on my blue light blocking goggles and I had on a, or glasses, and I had on a bioptimizer shirt. And I'm standing in line and this guy came up next to me and he goes, oh, I love those products. And I forgot. I forgot what shirt I was wearing. And I was like, what is he talking about?
1: Oh, please tell me that you're about to say he's a podcast listener.
0: No, but sort I don't know, but sort of better. Okay. So then I remembered I was wearing the shirt and I was like, Oh, I was like, really? I was like, which ones do you use? And he was like, yeah, I love the enzymes. And he goes, Wade is the best. And I was like, and then I was like, I was like, I love Wade. I was like, I was like, I'm a podcaster. And I was like, they're a sponsor on our podcast. We've had Wade on the podcast. He was like, he was like, that's amazing. And then he was like, he was like, yeah, I saw your shirt. I saw your blue light blocking glasses, and I just thought she gets it. I was like, yeah, we're probably into a lot of the same things. And then I'm not making this up, Jen. Guess what he said next? He goes, yeah, have you heard of Juve? And I was like,
1: <laughs> no way.
0: No, I'm not making this up. And I was just like, oh my
1: gosh. So I hope that y'all like went on a date or something. <laughs>
0: no but um it was so funny and then I was like I freaked out
1: oh my god you should did you get his phone number
0: well it was so funny so then we were just I mean we were just like freaking out like in the moment like what is happening and, and the and then he was like do you have a card and I didn't have any cards with me and then I was like trying to find a card and then I totally forgot I was like at the Whole Foods at ca- or at the Whole Foods cash register and then the cash the cash register lady was like um here's some paper you can write it down so I gave him like the information about our podcasts and stuff. So we'll see.
1: No, I wanted it to be like matchmaking. I know. <laughs> because y'all could be like, y'all could have the most amazing house of everything you like.
0: <laughs> I just, when he said the Jew thing, I was like, in my head, I was like, maybe he listens to our podcast and that's how he knows. But he, he like hadn't. Oh the, yeah. I asked him, I was like, and then in my head, I was like, I, I can ask him anything. I, I was like, I know I can say anything and he'll know what I'm talking about. I was like, oh, so what diet, like what dietary protocol do you currently follow? <laughs> and he was like, he's like, I was vegan for three years, but I like lost all my muscle mass. <laughs> he's like, I'm trying to like recover from that still. So he's like, no, I'm mostly like pescatarian, but mostly like whole foods. I was like, yeah, I get it. I get it. So the takeaway was I want to wear my BioOptimizer shirt all the time now to like find
1: all the <laughs> find all the people. Oh, it is funny though. You know, people are out there quietly doing intermittent fasting, but he's not an intermittent faster. I mean, he probably is. I, I said that I had the intermittent fasting podcast. Okay, he didn't say anything about it. I don't. I don't remember. Well, when when my contractor was here the first day, it was the day we were going to record this podcast, and I had to cancel because they were vacuuming when we were going to record. It was like it was very loud, so I had to cancel it and record today. But. I was like, well, I have a podcast, but I'll postpone it. So then he was like, well, what is it? And I started telling him about it. And then he was like, well, I could do that. So the second day he was here, he said, I had my black coffee and I (laughs) didn't eat anything. So he's doing intermittent fasting now. And then the next day we were out on the porch talking to this HVAC guy because we're moving one of the returns in the dining room and re-wallpapering in there because it's also got some like 90s wallpaper. We're putting something up that's better. And we're talking to the HVAC guy. And he's like, oh, yeah, I do intermittent fasting and I'm in your Facebook group. <laughs> I'm like, OK, awesome. We have a connection with the school where I used to work, though. His kids went there. So he knew who I was from from my old elementary school. But I didn't like know him personally, like like he wasn't a friend of mine. And I didn't teach his children. But it was just cool. because I'm standing on the porch with a guy who's there for HVAC and He's in the group and does the fasting and the contractor has now started doing the fasting. So it's just showing me that this is how mainstream it is and we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it because the contractor immediately was like, well, I'm going to do that. I'm starting tomorrow.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I say this all the time, but I now confidently can mention it in any conversation and people know what it is. In the past, it was rare that people had heard of it, like knew what it was. Now it's rare that they haven't
1: yeah when we were on the cruise last march so it was march of 2019 that's when i really noticed that it had had kind of turned the corner because wherever i was talking about it somebody knew somebody who had done it like we were in the hot tub and these girls from college were there and they're like yeah one of our college professors does that i mean people heard of it and they knew about it so it's just really thrilling
0: yep i love it love it love it me too There's actually a study I wanted to talk about, about intermittent fasting. If you're down, have you seen this one? It's called, it's very new. It's called um, early time restricted feeding improves 24 hour glucose levels and affects markers of the circadian clock, aging and autophagy in humans. I have seen that one. When did it come
1: out? Let me check. I think that's the one everybody always uses to say early time restricted feeding is better, but that's not really what they compared. So we can't make that. If that's the one I'm thinking about. I think it's different. It's not the one where they compared the people eating in the early window to the people who had an all-day window. This was actually, well, they did two
0: studies. This is the follow-up one. I think people use the first one more. This was May 2019.
1: Yeah, I've seen it. That's, I think that's the one. What What were the other people doing that were?
0: The first one was early time-restricted feeding reduces appetite and increases fat oxidation, but does not affect energy expenditure in humans. And then their follow-up one was that one I just mentioned. The takeaways from the findings from the two studies, like the first study basically found, I think we might have talked about it before. Yeah. It basically looked at early time-restricted eating from 8 to 2 p.m. compared to a
1: control of 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And see, that's this is the thing that, that gets me. One thing about this study is that people use it to say that early time-restricted Eating is better than late time-restricted eating, meaning early window is better than a late window. But they didn't compare an early window to a late window. They compared the early window to 12 hours of eating. And I think if we asked anybody what would be better, a short eating window or a 12-hour eating window, the short one would be better. So that's why I don't like the, the conclusion being drawn. I mean, if they want to do a study where they have the exact same length window, one is morning and one is evening. Let's do that and then we can draw some conclusions. That's my my pet peeve with this one.
0: Yeah, well, that study, the actual study didn't conclude that. I think I think people read it and concluded I know.
1: I know. But people do. And see, everybody says it. They're like, early time restricted feeding is better. And they're like, there's a study that shows it. And and when anyone asks this question in the group, they always say early time restricted feeding is better. There's a study that shows it. I'm like, which one is it? And it's always this one. (laughs) And I'm like, that is not what this one shows. But the reason they say it is because other people are using it to make that claim, if that makes sense. It's being used everywhere to make the claim that early time restricted feeding is better. And I'm not saying early time restricted feeding might not be better, but this study doesn't prove that. Anyway, it just proves that it's better than eating all day, which is, we already knew that.
0: Yeah. The, the conclusion of that first one, like what the researchers concluded, the thing they wanted to highlight, I just, I find the conclusion so interesting because there are so many things quote found in these studies And there's always the conclusion. I feel like it shouldn't be the word conclusion. It should be like the conclusion as what the authors decided to focus on as the conclusion. But um, the thing that they concluded was that time-restricted feeding, its method of weight loss was by decreasing appetite or so basically the calories in aspect rather than by increasing energy expenditure.
1: It also wasn't very long. How long was the study? Four days. See, that's the thing. I... I know that you're not fat adapted after four days. So I wouldn't think, you know, that that's just not long enough to say anything conclusively about the long term. I I really would like to see a long term study. That's what we need. I think they'll be coming out. There was one really fascinating
0: thing that I took away from it as well, because it was comparing it to how the findings seem to be a little bit different from what they find in rodent trials. One of the things it pointed out that I thought was really interesting was that rodents, when they are put into these situations, because this was a very intensely controlled study, like it used the whole room indirect couch, you know, where people are in a room and it's very controlled and it measures like everything about them. One of the differences it pointed out was that for rodents, when they're put on time-restricted feeding schedules, it didn't say it this way, but this is me like talking it out casually like rodents don't know they don't know that they are on these set fasting schedule so they engage in more activity to try to find food
1: oh that's an excellent point
0: yeah so they're gonna they're like not having food so they're gonna be like actively trying to find food which is going to increase their energy expenditure Whereas humans, when they're in this thing, they're in a room, they can't move around, they know there's not food, they're not making any compensatory physical activity to find food.
1: Isn't that fascinating? There could also be negative psychological effects on the rats, too, that we're not thinking about. See, this is why science is hard, everybody. And so the rats might be more stressed out. Because they don't understand that they're going to get fed later and they're in a feeding study, whereas humans do. So like if you say fasting causes stress because these rats were super stressed after they did it, well, the rats didn't know they were doing it. They just thought, oh my God, what's wrong? What's happening? Why is there no food? I never thought of that before. But that is one of the confounding variables that you cannot, because you can't explain it to the rat. Hey, little ratty, you know, you're going to be on this super special. It's good for you. You're going to love it.
0: Yeah. And it's so funny. I mean, it, they didn't mention that at all in the study, but that was my first thought as well. I was like, I never thought about that. But what you just said was one of my thoughts too. It was like, the rats don't know. So they're probably super stressed. <laughs> like,
1: Right. And that is a variable. That is a variable. And you cannot control for that unless you like send them to the rat spa. I don't know. They could be, like massage the rats and keep them calm. I don't know. <laughs> Because then the massage might be the thing that's causing it. See, there's no, it's really hard to control variables in science experiments with anything, whether you're doing a paper airplane experiment. I talk about this in Feast Without Fear about why it's so hard to draw conclusions from science. Because every little thing you tweak changes something else, especially with living creatures like us and humans even more.
0: Sorry, I was just clicking on um, other links related to it. It might've actually, I think the one that, people were all concluding. I think the other study, I think it might've been a different study. I think it might've been the early time restricted feeding improves insulin sensitivity, blood pressure, and oxidative stress, even without weight loss. Oh wait, no.
1: That's still the same, the same period of time. I think that's, I think they did one study and released a couple articles about it.
0: This one's a different study, but it's all the
1: same thing. But I think I don't, it wasn't comparing equal windows that were different time of day.
0: Yeah. Same thing. It's like a,
1: you know they do that. They'll have they'll have one study and and pull out more than one paper related to it. Well, this was a this was a different year. But that that's what I'm saying. They might have taken another year to write the paper. Does that make sense?
0: Oh uh, yeah. Well, this was a different control group. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I know that makes sense. Actually, though, so back to the study I was opening with, the one about 24-hour glucose levels. I was really drawn to this one because it looked at the genetic changes from time-restricted feeding on like, genes related to autophagy, one of my favorites. And they basically found that it upregulated a lot of genes which were supportive of autophagy. Yeah, I'm not surprised about that at all. But one of the takeaways that I wanted to talk about has literally like nothing really – I mean, it obviously it has to do with it, but I got so excited, Jen – So they found in the study that the participants eating in a six hour time window that they had after eating reduced glucose levels. And the researchers said that they actually had expected it to be the opposite. They thought that with the participants having, you know, all these meals scrunched into a short amount of time, that they would have higher blood glucose levels afterwards, that it would have like basically a negative effect, but it was the opposite. And... They said that one of the reasons, but that would be in comparison to, you know, the other pattern, which was eating the way we're often told to eat to regulate blood sugar, which is, you know, eating meals throughout the day, small
1: meals, multiple times a day, lots and lots of them. Yeah.
0: Right. So they're saying that this was the opposite of what we expected because normally, you know, all throughout the day is the way to go for blood sugar, but they found that actually there was better blood blood sugar control with having
1: it all at once. That doesn't surprise me at all because I remember the way I felt when I used to eat frequently throughout the day. It was like I was on a blood sugar roller coaster. Honestly, that is how I felt. Well, I got really excited because this literally some of the stuff they said really ties into our whole one meal a day
0: conversation. I was reading this and I was like lighting up. They said that the reason that this might have happened was because by eating multiple meals, because they were eating like breakfast and lunch, basically, within a shorter window, that when they started the second meal, like, they were still digesting breakfast, so the pancreas didn't have to get, quote, this is quoting from the study, reawakened to secrete insulin because it was already secreting insulin for the first meal. So that might have lessened the spike in plasma glucose afterwards. So after that, they were saying that basically... This suggests that eating in a time-restricted pattern where the inter-meal amount of time, so like having a time window where you're eating, even if you're eating like, quote, two meals within that time window, if there's like a short amount of time between those two meals, that that should actually really be taken into consideration as far as blood glucose levels go. They literally say, quote, we speculate that time-restricted feeding interventions where meals are eaten too far apart... Which is more than four to five hours apart, that that may be less effective at improving blood glucose levels, and it underscores the fact that while IF interventions are often viewed as synonymous with a reduction in meal frequency, practicing IF and reducing meal frequency are not the same thing. And future studies on IF should investigate whether the intermeal interval. And meal frequency influence health outcomes. So the reason I'm so excited is, you know, we've been having all of this discussion about, you know, if you have a a short window, is it, you know, one meal, two meals? Like if you're eating the whole time, like how does it affect insulin? How does it affect the pancreas? Like, you know, you and I have talked about this for so long on this podcast. And I just love this study because basically they're addressing that very thing that we've been talking about. And their conclusion or their speculation, it wasn't a conclusion. This is just their hypothesis, but they hypothesized that, regardless of if it's one meal or two meals or whatever, as long as it's less, five hours or less for your window. If you're eating, you know, multiple meals within that window, because the time between is so short, it's going to be less taxing of your pancreas overall. And it's going to be like, quote, better for your blood sugar levels after the fact. So, so your body
1: thinks of it as one meal.
0: Yeah, basically.
1: They take that, everyone! Your body thinks of it as one meal.
0: Yes, that's sort of the takeaway. So, which is kind of awesome because it kind of supports what both you and I think. Because I know you and you and I both have quote different definitions about what
1: is one meal. Somebody was like talking smack in my one meal a day Facebook group, and she said that everybody in all the other Facebook groups like make fun of our Facebook group for being stupid or something. And I am like. I don't even care, but it cracks me up that people in other Facebook groups are gossiping. I mean, I don't care how you define it. Knock yourself out, call it however you want. But like, I felt like I was in high school. Wait, was
0: she talking? She was talking about the one meal a day terminology or?
1: About Well, just that, and we were the first one meal a day Facebook group that existed. We were the first one for like over a year. We were the only one meal a day group. So now there's like a million of them and everybody has like their own definition. And the funny part is I don't really care what anybody else calls it or how you do it. It matters zero to me. And I don't really think that the wording is that important. I know for a fact that I'm only eating around structured around the dinner time. So to me, I'm not eating lunch and breakfast, but whatever. I don't care what you call it, but... It just cracked me up to think that in other Facebook groups, they're actively talking about ours like like gossipy. I mean, we're not talking about them in our Facebook group. You know, we're not in there slamming how they're doing things. It doesn't matter to me. It's like high school. Well, that's how it felt. It doesn't matter to me how they define it or what they want to do. I, I'm not going to join their group and tell them they're doing it wrong.
0: Oh, my goodness. I never thought about this. Facebook groups are like high school.
1: It's really funny, but the, they... Yeah, the fact that she's like, well, we all think y'all are stupid. And I'm like, okay.
0: And especially now you have to, you know, you have to like answer questions to join.
1: and Yeah, I'm like, all right, that's fine. I don't care. You don't have to uh, agree with me. And I'm cool with that. But the fact that y'all are over there talking about it and like, I'm not making fun of the way they want to define it is my point. They can do whatever they want to do and it doesn't matter. It really, people just get so like tied into like, how they want to define it when really it doesn't matter exactly
0: because like i still terminology wise so not like insulin wise not what's happening in your body wise not all of that wise i still like feel like our definitions are different but i don't care
1: i don't think it matters i'm not mad that you think about it differently than me that's the thing it doesn't bother me and you know i even have seen people say repeatedly that they don't think that time restricted eating should ever be referred to as intermittent fasting. Like that is one train of thought that a few people, you know, that are experts in the field do they don't consider time restricted eating, which is the daily eating window approach, they don't consider that to be intermittent fasting. They think intermittent fasting is when you do longer fasts intermittently.
0: That's what Peter Atia says as well.
1: Right. And there's there's a few people who say that. The point though of that is that terminology is already, that cat already is out of the bag. We can't change. We can say time-restricted eating for the eating window approach, but I, I still am going to consider that under the umbrella of intermittent fasting. Same page. Like, I
0: kind of feel like like if we were starting it now, I would use intermittent fasting as an umbrella term for all of these approaches. So I would consider time-restricted eating, time-restricted feeding, longer fast, like all of the stuff, I would consider it forms of intermittent fasting.
1: That's what I do right now, this minute. That's what I consider all of those to be types of intermittent fasting.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the way I see it. I think, I think there is like a slight issue with it because of the way it's discussed in the clinical literature. And then it creates confusion about what is doing what, because, because a clarity in terminology, I think is needed to properly discuss the ideas. That's why I like the fact that now we have the time restricted feeding because I think it can add more clarity. But yeah, I mean, it's just like a
1: it's linguistics, you know, it's wording and it really doesn't matter. Find out what works for you, call it whatever you want, eat in a way that that supports your health. But I do love the fact that they found that as long as it was in that condensed eating window, that the body treated it as, as one big feeding. That's good information to have. I like that.
0: Yeah. So, and I love that it gave a specific amount of time. So basically it said more than four to five hours Apart, so I guess if it's more than four to five hours apart, that would mean that it could actually be a like you wouldn't want to eat a
1: meal, wait six hours, and eat another one.
0: Well, according to this, you wouldn't want to you wouldn't want to eat a meal, wait four hours, and eat another one. So things could get even a little bit wonky with like a six hour window if you ate for an hour, waited four hours, and then ate for an hour. But it seems that less than that might be the way to go. So like the continuous eating actually seems to be. A factor, which is really fascinating, or that shortened amount of time between between the eating. So it's fascinating. So it sounds like even though both of the way we do one meal a day is very different, I think, it's similar time-wise, but it's different the way it like looks. I think both of it falls into this whole template. But yeah. <laughs> do you see why I was so excited when I read that paragraph? I was like, nobody's going to appreciate why I'm so excited about this paragraph. That's like a throwaway paragraph in the whole paper, but... um. <laughs>
1: Well, anyway, my my whole takeaway from all of it is everybody figure out what works well for you. And no matter what new research comes out saying this is better or that is better, or even if we have research that shows that an early time-restricted eating window is better, we might one day have that. Maybe it is. But practicality-wise, you need to do the one that works for you and that you can do. You know, for me, an early window doesn't work at all because of... You know, I can close my window and be perfectly satisfied, but then before bedtime, I'm going to be hungry again and that doesn't work well for me. Whereas if I have my eating window later in the day, I get to go to bed feeling great and I sleep well, it works well. So even if an early window was better, it's only better if you can stick to it and it feels good. So that's just, that's what I always think. We, we got to remember it's a way of living. It's a lifestyle and you can take the pleasure out of it when you shoot for perfection. Yep,
0: yeah, exactly. Oh, one of the other things that it found, just to throw it out there, which was actually the complete opposite of what I, what I would have expected, but it's a good thing. It was in one of those. I don't remember which one. I think it was. I think it was the second one, the one we were just talking about. They found that the early time-restricted feeding pattern, this was so the opposite of what I would have thought, that it actually increased cortisol in the morning and decreased cortisol at night, which is great. Say that again. That the early time-restricted feeding actually increased cortisol in the morning and decreased it at night, which is in line with the natural circadian rhythm. The reason I thought it would be the opposite is I would have anticipated eating in the morning to reduce cortisol and then at night it to go
1: up because you're not eating. But um, they found the opposite. And I I do want to point out that this was only four days. And so I really think knowing what I know about how long it takes our bodies to adjust to fasting, I really think we need to demand long-term studies because – we're recording this near the end of January and we just had a ton of new people join the group and they're about three weeks in now and they're all like, you know, hitting that glycogen depletion wall (laughs) right at the same time. They're like, why do I suddenly feel worse when I felt great? And, you know, then they're going to get to the other side and they're going to feel better. But, you know, any study that you do, if it's really short, you're going to miss out on that fat adaptation and the way that your body responds differently when you've been doing it longer.
0: Yeah, I do think that's a great thing to point out. So for listeners, we will put links to both of these in the show notes. The reason I ha- I dived so deep into these was, so I've had Stacy Toth on my other podcast, on the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. And that episode, she was on the episode all about skincare and makeup. And it's an, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But she is the co-host of The Paleo View with Dr. Sarah Valentine, who I adore, Dr. Sarah Valentine they actually had a whole episode on intermittent fasting and they had both of these studies and they talked about them. And Dr. Ballantyne drew some conclusions that I would not personally have drawn from reading it. So I wanted to like go through and read it all myself and see what was going on. And people are talking about it in my Facebook group. So that's why I did a really deep dive. I'll put links to everything in the show notes.
1: It is so interesting when you read somebody. I mean, even someone you respect a lot and you read their interpretation of a study and then you read it and you're like, that's not at all how I interpret that. Isn't that interesting? Actually, I
0: agreed with most of what she said, like pretty much. But the thing that I was like, what? And I was like, I have to go read this is she mentioned that effect on cortisol. And then her conclusion from that, this was just me not quite being in line with the interpretation. Her interpretation was okay, time-restricted feeding is increasing cortisol, so it might be a problem for stress markers. But I was thinking it's increasing cortisol and the natural circadian rhythm. Like it's regulating cortisol the way we want cortisol to be regulated. So,
1: And it was lower later. So there it wasn't always increased. It was just increased
0: earlier. Right. So yeah, definitely encourage people, especially when there is access to the original articles to do to do your research. And now I'm just laughing because Jen, you know how we talked about how we both read, well, you read part of it and I'm reading How Not to Diet, Dr. Michael Greger's book. Well, A, it's a fascinating book. I'm actually really enjoying it. It is taking me so long to read because literally, literally like every other sentence has a footnote to a study.
1: And you're going to the studies and looking at
0: them. Yeah. Like literally I'll read a sentence. And I'm like, that's fascinating. And then there's like the reference and I'm like, oh crap. And so then I click on it and I'm like, oh, I want to read this. So like, I can't even tell you how many studies I'm
1: reading now. Are you finding, I'm just curious. Are you finding that what the studies are saying when you read them match what he says about them? That's the part that always, I always am so surprised when they don't, which is a lot. <laughs> I didn't do that with his book, Disclosure, because I was on a cruise and I didn't have great internet access, so I did not look at the actual studies of anything that he said.
0: So this is what I think he has done a very good job of, and it makes sense, because he says it's, he says somewhere in the book how he hired like X amount of third-party people to go through and make sure when he was using these studies that he wasn't doing that. He didn't say it that way exactly, but that was the idea. So I think he's done a really good job of that. In my opinion, it's still very cherry-picking because basically, so like he'll have a a point that he's making, and yes, he gets all these studies that do very much support that. And if you look at the studies I mean, I found a few things here and there where I'm like, eh, uh, but he's definitely not me. I mean, he could have, I, a lot of people,
1: you know, will reference that. He's not misinterpreting them.
0: Yeah. He's, he's clearly very on top of that aspect of it. But in my opinion, it's still very much cherry picking because the root idea that he'll trying to be put out there, he's specifically choosing all the studies that do show that without false interpretation rather than taking in the entire literature, which would include other studies, which would not show that. Does that make sense?
1: And, and, you know, that does go back again to the fact that there are so many conflicting things in the literature just because research with people is so confusing and hard to do. I guess I think I talked about it in Feast Without Fear about a study that was comparing different dietary approaches, and they did such a terrible job controlling the variables. And I read it to my fourth graders. We were studying the scientific method at the time. They were doing a project, and they were able to identify the flaws, (laughs) fourth graders. So, you know, and but that that study had a conclusion that this was better than that. You know, whatever the approaches were, and I'm like, you cannot draw that conclusion when you haven't controlled the variables. Yeah, it's it's crazy. But then they do, and then you see headlines about it, and then then it gets repeated as gospel. Mm-hmm. And then you know, and they're like, well, who, this study proved it, and I'm like, well, no, no, it didn't. <laughs> Not even close. Anyway, it's just crazy.
0: I will say though, I am the book, it really is very fascinating. There's just so many things I'm like, that I'm just like making notes about. One of the things that was really fascinating to me was, and I had actually read this in another book. Recently, I read it in a book. It was saying that the average human person, regardless of calories, consumes like three to four pounds of, or three to five, somewhere around there, pounds of food per day. So regardless of calories, like that's how much, but it didn't, it didn't say why. Yeah. I found that to be fascinating too. Yeah. So I was, I found that fascinating in another book and then I was reading this book and he brought that up, but he, he provided the reason for it, which made me really happy. So the theory is that as hunter gatherers, when we were evolving, that was the amount of food required to supply X amount of calories. So our bodies still have this like muscle memory thinking it needs that amount of food to supply that amount of calories that it doesn't like realize that we're getting a thousand calories of like, you know, processed food now. So we're still craving this literal amount of weight of food. I thought that was really fascinating.
1: And, you know, that explains a lot, you know, why we have the urge to keep eating with, with all this highly processed and very calorie dense food that we've got now. And it's so easy to overeat it if we're trying to reach a certain like weight of food. That makes a lot of sense.
0: Yeah, because I mean, so far, I probably read a fifth of the book now so far. And so far, his main hypothesis is that it's really like processed foods and over consumption of calories is like the reason for the obesity epidemic.
1: Yeah, overeating is not a good strategy for any of us. But it's why it's so easy to overeat these highly processed, you know, calorie dense foods. You know it's easy to overeat them. and the whole weight thing, the weight of the food that's that explains a lot about it, yeah,
0: yeah. He, there are so many. I, I really actually do recommend the book because he references so many studies I had never heard before that are just really, really fascinating as far as like studies where they're just comparing like how much you eat with different environmental situations or different food types and I mean, It's really fascinating. I just thought, though, of something where I can think of like a cherry picking example. Like, for example, he really briefly discussed fat because he makes the argument that, you know, fat is such a concentrated form of calories. So it's most likely contributing to the obesity epidemic. Oh, this was something I specifically looked up. So he brings up the idea of coconut oil and he was saying how, like, coconut oil is posited as, you know, being good for weight loss or whatever and he deconstructs that completely so he doesn't think that that's the case but he provides a like a study where it showed that coconut oil like replacing coconut oil led to weight loss in the participants but then he completely discredits the study because he says it was a open label so he says that because the participants knew they were getting coconut oil that completely discredits the study which I was like maybe that's true but I feel like that's sort of like a cherry picking situation. Like, you know, like you're going to show this study, but they're going to discredit it for this really random thing. So then I Googled open label to see if he used any other open label studies to prove other points. (laughs) And I think he used one. And so I was like, okay, (laughs) so then technically you can't use this other study either, you know, but you don't mention the open label in that other study. So that's the type of things that i my brain goes to.
1: Well, I get it, you know, if 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 it's if it discredits one, you have to use that same metric for all of them. It would be like if you said, "Well, I don't really like rat studies. They're not very good. But here's a great rat study that proves my point." <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> but he's very smart because like cuz then he follows it up with an open label with a non-open label coconut oil study that didn't show that. So basically what he did in addressing the coconut oil concept was there are a lot of more studies beyond these two studies, but he pulled out two studies, one which supported what he didn't want to endorse, but then he discredited that study. And then he provided a study that did support his hypothesis. So he got be- he gets the best of both worlds. And I'm not trying to attack him at all. I'm just saying like, this is very smart and nothing is technically untrue in it, but it's just the way that we can, you know, use things to prove a point. I, I mean, it's very smart tactic, Because he's getting to show both sides, but discrediting the other side and then supporting his side with two studies about something that – and then using that to discredit – then he's using it focusing on coconut oil to discredit medium-chain triglycerides, the MCTs, when coconut oil is only a certain percent MCTs. So I think the studies would all
1: need to have been studies about MCTs, not coconut oil. Right. Well, because it's not – yeah. Science with people is just so hard. I mean, it is. It's just so hard. And what I would love to do is work with some some researchers on designing some intermittent fasting studies. Wouldn't that be fun? Help them design some studies and, and just say, you know, from a practical approach, here's what we we know from, you know, these, we're over 300,000 Facebook group members now combined. So this is what we see. So these are some factors to keep in mind. And that'd be awesome.
0: Yep. All right. Should we take a moment to talk about some of our supporters
1: today? Yes, let's do that. And you notice we haven't answered a single question, but it's been intermittent fasting talk the whole time. I know. (laughs) It's been good stuff. No, it's really good stuff.
0: No, I love it. We actually had requests. I remember like right when we started this podcast, we had requests to um, talk more about the most recent studies. And at the time I was like, I wanted to do it, but it seemed like like a lot not not, not a lot of effort, but like I was like that's going to take a lot of you know a lot of time to like research and everything. And I wanted to address all these qu- listener questions, but I, I think having both is really important. So today's episode is brought to you in part by two really amazing companies that Jen and I both I can say very confidently, Jen and I both adore. It's very true. The first one is Feels, and guys, <laughs> we actually had a call. Was it how long ago was it? Like two weeks ago ish with feels just to get up to date with where they're at. Oh, so feels they make, they make a CBD oil that fits all of my personal, really stringent criteria. It's full spectrum. It's organic. It's made with organic MCT oil as the carrier and it's tested for purity, for quality. I mean, I just love it. And we had a call with them and and I cannot express like how genuine they are as a company.
1: Oh, they're awesome. They were they were so great.
0: I mean, it's just so wonderful to talk to people that truly believe like so much in the product that they're creating and are truly creating it to help the world. <laughs> like basically they just have the call to just tell us how excited they are to be working with us and helping to get, the power of CBD out there because they're so passionate about what it can do for people's situations. Like we were talking to one of the founders, I believe, and um, he came to CBD to tackle his depression, right? Depression or anxiety. I think it was depression.
1: Yeah. One of those. Yeah. I know they're not exactly the same, but in my mind, I tend to keep them together. So I can't remember what she said, but it was definitely one of those. If not both.
0: It was one of them. Yeah. Like you said, or if not both. Oh, really quick tangent. I was actually researching depression and anxiety the other day. Do you know one reason that they often go together? Because we were just talking about lumping them together. Because they're they're sort of like extremes in the brain. And people will often, if they have high anxiety, the body can only exist at that state of anxiety for so long before it just shuts down. And so then the shutdown response kind of reverts to the de- depression.
1: Ooh, that explains a lot. Yeah. Yeah knowing somebody that I know that, that deals with that, both the anxiety and the depression, it's not me, but it's someone I know that explains exactly what it's like. That was, I'm glad I learned that because yeah, they, they're really anxious about everything. Then all of a sudden they have a crash.
0: Yeah. Basically it was like the, like literally the brain cannot maintain that state of anxiety, you know,
1: perpetually. And then it shuts down. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it. It just shuts down. Yeah. Wow.
0: One of the amazing things about CBD is it, it can help regulate our cannabinoid system and actually bring us back into balance. That's one of the great things about it. It's not it's not like a band-aid and it's not like one or the other. So it's not like automatically fixes anxiety, automatically fixes depression because it's, you know, doing the opposite. It's it's balancing. So it's bringing you back into balance and that's why it can, you know, help a lot of people so much with those issues. And I mean that really really came through talking to the
1: I like want to start crying. It was so like it was so emotional. It really was. And and they were like they they said that they really have appreciated the response from the intermittent fasting podcast audience. Like they they're really grateful for this audience. Yeah, they they wanted to make that clear that they they considered you the intermittent fasting podcast listeners who have embraced their product. Apparently a lot of you have. And and they they, they know it and they're grateful. So that made me happy.
0: Yeah. They said they've been getting a lot of feedback from our audience saying how much they're loving the products.
1: And so they, you know, because we think of companies as like this company, here's this company making this product. But these are people who made a product because it worked for them and they needed it. And so they're like, hey, let's change the what Kind of like, you know, you and me, Melanie, with fasting, Fasting is our quote product <laughs> that we are, you know, quote selling you in this podcast. We are presenting it to you. We, we want, but, but it's because it's meaningful to us. So this company feels is real people who developed a product because it helped them. And now they're selling it to people. But the story of the people is at the heart of what they're doing, which is like us with intermittent fasting. exactly Yeah. That's why we connected so well with them. It kind of gave me goosebumps. I
0: know it was like a really powerful call. I was like, oh my goodness. And I hung up and I was like, I'm just so grateful and happy. And and I personally use Feels and it's amazing. Like, I just love it. And we do have, they also, on top of that, I think they have one of the best offers, <laughs> hands down. So if you go to feels.com slash ifpodcast, you will actually get 50% off your first order with free shipping, which is so huge so again that's feels.com slash ifpodcast to become a member and get 50 percent and free shipping and like i said it is a membership but you can cancel so if for some reason it doesn't work for you you're not like committed long term but i think most people are do end up committing long term
1: really for me though the thing the thing about feels you know you can buy cbd oil like at any corner store now like everywhere you can buy it everywhere but for me i don't want to just buy something from wherever i want to t- i want to be certain that it's high quality and that's why you know i would i would rather get it from someone that i trust that's just really important to me i don't want to buy it at the convenience store down the street <laughs> i don't know what that is <laughs> especially with cbd oh yeah yeah so to me it's it's worth getting the highest quality from a rep- reputable company I wouldn't feel the least bit confident getting it, you know, from CBDRS or something. Oh, gosh.
0: <laughs> yep. And then our second supporter today is also a company that's really, honestly, as well, doing really amazing things for our health, like the planet, so many things. That's Native Deodorant. So I'm really passionate about this. Deodorant is actually one of the largest sources of toxic exposure that most people experience every single day. Because most people wear deodorant. And our armpits are supposed to be letting toxins out, but ironically, we tend to stuff it up with deodorant, so we're blocking our detox system. And then most deodorants are made with aluminum, which is actually a toxic heavy metal, as well as parabens, talc, a lot of other ingredients that can be toxic to our bodies. So that's just really not a good situation to be in. The problem is that there are a lot of, quote, natural deodorants, but they don't work, so it's like, uh. You're just kind of stuck. That's why I, I do adore Native because they have actually formulated deodorants that are non toxic, that are safe for your skin, that use natural ingredients, and that most importantly, Native deodorant works. It's funny, whenever I mention Native, like on Instagram or
1: in my Facebook group or whatever, it's just everybody's like, I love Native. <laughs> like everybody who's tried it. Well, if you've ever tried another one, That's the, that's when you love native because I've tried other natural deodorants. I've talked about this before because I really was trying. And it, all that happened is my deodorant itself started to smell like BO and it never (laughs) helped me at all and so i I would give up and i actually heard about native from a good friend of mine before they sponsored our podcast and i was using it before they sponsored our podcast this is true story and my friend was like oh well then you've got to try native and i'm like all right whatever i'll try it and i tried it and i was like oh she's right they're the bomb which which scent do you use jen i like the coconut
0: coconut and vanilla that's their most popular one
1: it's my favorite. I, yeah, like I don't, I don't like to smell, um, florally. That's just me. I love to smell. I love the the coconut vanilla smell.
0: Yeah, my personal favorite is the unscented because I'm a sensitive butterfly. But yeah, so Native is great. They do have free shipping. They have 30, 30 day free returns and exchanges. Pretty awesome. And they do have a special offer just for our listeners you go to nativedeodorant.com and use the promo code IFpodcast during checkout, you will get 20% off your first purchase. So again, that is nativedeodorant.com. Use the promo code IFpodcast for 20% off your first purchase. Love Native. All right. So we can squeeze in one one question from one lucky listener before we go. Hey, but you know what
1: though? We answered questions that people didn't even know they had today. (laughs) This is true. This is very true.
0: So this question comes from Emily. The subject is dirty fasting at the end of the feeding window. I really like this question. Emily says, hi ladies. I just found your podcast and am loving it. It has really helped me stay motivated and get back on track in January after an indulgent holiday season. I have been following a low carb, not quite keto lifestyle for about 10 months. And I've also been incorporating intermittent fasting over that time. Let's ignore December winky face. Since listening to your podcast, I've realized that my fast was not clean. I was adding creamer to coffee and also chewing the occasional sugar-free gum or drinking flavored LaCroix during the fasting window. I've since tightened up my ways to keep the fast clean in the morning with black coffee and water only. There were several episodes which have helped me understand why it's important to keep it clean so your body doesn't think food is coming or raise insulin while, while you are in the fasted state. I have noticed a huge difference since keeping the fast clean, so thanks for that. I can now fast until the early afternoon when I used to break the fast around 11 a.m. My question is, is there a bit more flexibility at the end of the eating window slash beginning of the fasting window? I typically fast for about 18 to 19 hours a day with an eating window somewhere around 1 to 6 p.m., I do enjoy a few pieces of my horrible sugar-free gum and a flavored LaCroix after dinner in lieu of dessert. If I finish my dinner at 6 p.m. but sip on LaCroix and chew gum until 7 or 8 p.m., will that really affect when my body gets into the fasted state? My thought here is that I have real food in my stomach that my body is already processing. This is so interesting because it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier, Jen. (laughs) I did not plan this at all. So the marginal impact of the gum or LaCroix would be less of an issue when I'm just closing my eating window compared to when I'm completely in the fasted state the next day from wake up time to 1 p.m. Hopefully this question makes sense. I'd appreciate your thoughts. And yes, it does make sense. (laughs) She says, as an aside, I'm doing IF and eating the way I do to feel good, enjoy health benefits and make life easier by not having to think about food all day. Although I would like to lose about five pounds, I am at a healthy weight. So I suppose I would consider
1: myself in maintenance mode. Thanks so much. All right. What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, it is such an interesting question because I think about this myself. You know, I have an evening eating window. And so I just think about once I open my window, it's kind of open till bedtime. You know, that's that's kind of what I do. So, you know, people are like, Does XYZ break the fast? You know. And I'm, like, and I'm like, well, when are you having it? And they'll be like, well, I have it at bedtime. And I'm like, well, it's probably not as big of a deal. So I do understand what she's saying because it would be completely different to have the sugar-free gum or the LaCroix at the, say, 12-hour mark because your body is hopefully getting into the, the deep fasted state by, you know, starting by then and as yet the fast continues. So you're right. If you're already, you know, digesting, you, you if you just finish eating at 6 p.m., and your, your body is in the fed state at that point, it probably will not make as much of a difference <laughs> if you keep going with the flavored LaCroix or the sugar-free gum. But your body, you know, it may cause more insulin release than you had from the meal, especially if you're low carb. So there's a wrinkle I want to throw in there. If you're already eating low carb because you're trying to keep insulin low, I don't think that, the artificial sweeteners are going to support what you're trying to do even smack dab in the middle of your eating window. Does that make sense, Melanie? Yeah. Yeah, completely. If your goal is keeping insulin low and you're doing that through eating a lower carb, choosing a lower carb approach, I don't think that all of these sweeteners are a good, you know, a good thing to add to that, that type of lifestyle if your goal is low insulin. You know, all these things that trick our bodies into thinking that we're having something sweet. I mean, there are that, you know, all these things that taste sweet to our bodies, the sugar-free gum, the flavored LaCroix. So technically, it definitely, that would be the time to have it, you know, right then, right after you've eaten, you know, kind of extending. Instead, though, think of it as kind of extending your eating window. Instead of, I don't like to think of anything as dirty fasting. I don't like that terminology. I like the idea of clean fast because, you know, that's the time our bodies clean and repair. Clean is a good thing. Dirty fasting, I would like to never say dirty fasting or hear dirty fasting again, just because I, I don't think that's really a thing. And it sounds so negative. But personally, if, if I were trying to keep insulin low, I would not extend the period of time that my ins- insulin was being released, even though it might be marginal because you have just eaten. That's the part I agree with. It's not going to be as big of a deal because you just ate, but it's still, especially since you were eating low carb, it it might have more of an effect than you think. Anyway, that's just, that's just what I think.
0: Yeah. Like you discussed, I think there's two things to take in mind here. There's like the actual eating window and then there's just the implications about, what it's telling your brain compared to what you're taking in, especially if you've been on a ketogenic diet. So sort of what Jin just said, I think with these quote dirty fasting things, when you're still sort of like in the eating window, not really, I'm just basically saying what Jin said. I think it's less about the fasting window because I, and more about what you're telling your body. Interestingly enough, something like Stevia, for example, after like all the research I've done on that, I think that's an example where... It's ironic because, so it's like a sweet taste, right? It's been shown to also actually lower blood sugar levels. So if you're not eating a carb-restricted diet, I think actually having stevia with like your carbs might actually be a good way to, for some people, to like manage their blood sugar levels.
1: Unless it's lowering your blood sugar by raising your insulin, which is like it it only looks good on paper. Like, oh, look, it lowered my blood glucose. Well, if it did that by raising your insulin, that's a false positive good feeling.
0: Well, some of the studies have shown that it, it it's good for in, for insulin regulation, so it's it's tricky to know exactly what's going on. The takeaways I've seen with stevia is like that there are a lot of different response the way there are a lot of different responders. So, it's like for some people eating carbs and having stevia might actually be a good thing because it's going to overall have a good effect on your blood sugar. For some people though, adding it in can actually increase insulin. So hard to tell. And then for some people on low carb, it's great because they don't seem to experience like sugar cravings or anything. Like it works for them to like satisfy their sweet tooth without having sweets. But then for some people, it's the complete opposite. It keeps the
1: the sweets present. So really it's, this is Stevia specifically. And and you're talking about it within the eating window in this context, like with food. Mm-hmm. With, it, with food. So it seems
0: like there's probably four potential situations you could be in, you know, a, high, a higher carb diet where you find it beneficial or detrimental. And then a lower carb diet where you find it beneficial, detrimental, and only you could really know, you'd have to just experiment. That's stevia. The reason I'm talking about stevia is because I think it's one of the, quote, natural, like there's there's the, there's the potential for it to be therapeutic and beneficial if it suits your body. I'm less, I'm less thinking that about a lot of these artificial sweeteners because I don't think we really see anything good from them. I think they confuse our
1: bodies more than anything else.
0: Yeah. And I think the effects we see on the gut microbiome are not good. That Dr. Um, McGregor was actually talking about that. Gregor, right? I always think he's Mick Greger because his first name is a Michael, but I'm um, Michael Greger. I don't really think that we see anything good from come from artificial sweeteners. So yeah. So the long story short is everything we just said. Like, it's less about the fasting, more about what it's doing in the longer term based on what it's doing with you know the food at that moment. Any other thoughts
1: about that? Well, just that. You know, I really think that Emily needs to to see what happens for her. You know, if let's let's just say, for the sake of argument, that we're gonna consider that that's keeping her window open till 8 p.m. So her window would be from 1 to 8 p.m., but she stops eating actual food at 6 p.m. But her window is one to eight, that's seven hours. If she's able to to do that and meet all of the goals she has, there's nothing wrong with that. Again, it's semantics. Do we want to call it a five-hour window and then you're just having this later? Or do you want to call it a seven-hour window? It doesn't matter. What you call it, what matters is what do you see happening? If it's meeting your goal, if you're meeting your goals and we want to call that a one to eight-hour window, I mean, a one to eight p.m. window, which is seven hours long, then that's perfectly fine to do. Exactly. But if you're not meeting your goals, you know
0: what to cut out. This is true. It's a nice thing. There's always stuff to
1: tweak it till it's easy.
0: Yep. Yeah. All right. So I just love how that question fit in so well with what we're talking about. Yeah, me too. So a few things for listeners before we go, the show notes for today's episode will be at ifpodcast.com slash episode 147. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. We also have ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. That's where we put links to all the stuff that we like. You can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I'm at Melanie Avalon and Jen is at Jen Stevens. You can follow, follow us on Twitter. We are the IFpod. And lastly, we are a Himalaya partnered show. If you'd like early access to our show 24 hours in advance, definitely follow us in the Himalaya app. All right. Anything else from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. All right. Well, I'll talk to you next week.
1: All right. Talk to you then. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the intermittent fasting podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, intermittent fasting stories and the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. The music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.